0: Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is David Rose, and he is going to tell us about his near-death experience. Hi, David.
1: Hi, Peggy. Thank you for the opportunity to tell my story and my experience on your show.
0: Well, I'm very anxious to hear it.
1: So, would you like to just go ahead? Okay. Well, before I came on camera here. I I prayed that people who view this will be blessed in some way, and I ask God to bless this video and, and my presentation. So I was born and raised into a Christian family and went to Christian schools, Christian colleges, all kinds of Christian activities growing up uh paid tithe most of my life and an elder in my church I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing and uh loved god very much my entire life I was baptized when I was 12 and uh lived a a simple christian harmless life
2: <clears throat>
1: and um At one point, I guess it was around 2007, I found myself divorced, living at home, working a business that I could operate from home. And at one point, I was impressed that in addition to tithing my income, I should tithe my time. So that next day, I started setting my alarm for. Two and a half hours, and I would study the Bible. I would read other religious books. I would pray. And I realized that maybe more importantly, I started developing quiet time after I prayed because you can pray and then get up and go off and do something else, and you're not listening for God. So in my quiet time after I prayed, I I actually attempted to receive messages back from God. And I don't know how to do the Eastern meditation. I wasn't really doing that. I just call it quiet time so that I can listen for God. And so in my praying, in my quiet time, in my studying, I I would start quiet time. And I looked at the clock and one time I thought, man, this is not working. My, my leg's going to sleep, my back hurts. You know, what's that noise outside? And it just wasn't working for me that day. And <clears throat> so I looked at the clock again and an hour had passed and I thought, no way no way at all was that an hour, and I just wrote it off as an anomaly, just I, I blew something, you know, that can't be right, and so it happened again and again, and I kept losing larger and larger blocks of time, and I used to go out into the forest or out by the river or up in the mountains to uh, tithe my time, my two and a half hours, but I decided maybe that's not a good idea if I'm losing blocks of time and I don't know what's happening to me in that time. So after that I did all of my tithing of my time in my home and the day of my heavenly experience was just a normal day. I was working at home, I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke anything. Um, The only medication I was taking was blood pressure medication. Um, No drama, just a normal everyday day. And went to bed normal time, 10, 11 o'clock. And I don't remember my ascension to heaven like I remember my descension. And I will tell you about my descension when I get there in my experience. But the recollection, the memory of my heavenly experience starts almost seemingly
2: mid-sentence with my guide. I had a guide up there, and we were walking on what appeared to be a sidewalk in heaven.
1: But it wasn't a sidewalk like we know it here on the earth. And you're going to hear this a lot. You're going to hear me say, I don't even know how to describe this. So I don't even know why I'm doing this talk right now, because I don't have words to describe what I need to portray to you. But we were moving on this slab of light. And the light was just absolutely brilliant. It had streams of gold, it had streaks of maroon, it had streaks of purple in it. And we weren't walking like you and I walk on the earth. We were hovering and it was very smooth. There was no leg movement in myself or seemingly with the guide beside me. And I'll tell you about what I saw in my surroundings. And there were elevation changes, little hills seemingly, and a larger walk area off to our right side that was just another larger, more dense slab of light. But most importantly, I could tell that we were coming from a huge, massive source of not only light, but energy. And that energy was coming from what seemed to be a hill behind us. The the source was on the other side of the hill. I couldn't see the source, but it seemed as though we had already been there and we were now walking away from it to
2: another location. And I'm telling you, the source of that light was just indescribable.
1: There's nothing like it on the earth. The the light was so bright and the energy was so powerful that you could hear it. You could hear the light. You could feel the light. Um, Again, there were streaks of color going up from this light source, just streaming up into elevations way above us,
2: and the light would go up and it seemed to swirl in order to fill
1: what would be on the earth, the entire sky, but there is no sky in heaven, there's no blue sky, there's no clouds, there's no atmosphere like we know it here. Um, I could tell it didn't rain in, in heaven. Uh, but uh, the light from this one source seemed to be the light for everything, the source for everything, even even the slab of light on which we were walking. And it was just totally foreign to me. And absolutely intriguing and amazing. But more importantly than what I saw, I really need to express to you how I felt. Because I was in awe at what I saw, but more at all in the love, the confidence, the acceptance, the purity, Um, I don't have earthly words to describe how I felt. I mean, I wish I could feel like that every day. And um, it was just so pure. And the love, that's the main word, the love. I could tell that everybody all the beings in the area and the guide next to me was just pouring love over me. And I felt so good next to my guide and I felt so much love coming from that light source behind me where we had just been seemingly. I'm assuming that was where we were, but I don't remember that part. So as we continued to walk away from that big source of light, we encountered other beings. I couldn't see faces. I didn't know anybody. I didn't see grandma. So um, we just continued to move on and suddenly right in front of me, I saw this huge, huge being. We were approaching the area where he was. I could tell he was a male all the others i couldn't tell gender at all but this one being was really really special he was very tall he was a giant of a man and he was not dressed like the others he was dressed as a heavily equivalent of a warrior and to this day i cannot even describe what he was wearing what he looked like he was just reeking power and goodliness godliness love strength um, this is somebody that would be first pick on a baseball team
2: and uh just amazing, Ooh, An amazing person. I was never
1: offered the opportunity to meet that person. We kind of went behind him and didn't have an opportunity to meet him. I should have asked, but I didn't. I felt like I felt like there was a program like, you know, I, I need to go with the plan here. I didn't feel like I was in a position to ask for favors. But <clears throat> another thing is we were communicating. I say we, my guide and I were communicating different than how we communicate here on the earth. <clears throat> we weren't breathing and moving our mouths and 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 talking audibly the way that we talk on the earth. It seems as though we were communicating telepathically. We were transferring thoughts back and forth to each other. And it was working quite well. I was really impressed. And so we walked on over to another area that seemed to be some kind of a structure. But it wasn't really, because you could see through it. And guess what, it was made of light. But the light in this case was going straight up on all corners of this big structure. And we somehow entered inside this structure. And there were lots of beings in there Um, and there was no roof. The walls just seemingly went straight up out of sight, just like you shine a a spotlight straight up in the air. It just went to infinity. And I could also still see the light from where we had come in that big, massive uh, flow of light from that massive energy source. I could see that from inside this structure. It was moving all around above us. And there seemed to be like a head table inside this room, inside this structure where a lot of beings were sitting. And over on the other side, there were even more people seemingly like an audience who were facing this front row or head table of people. And it's kind of like I don't know, maybe a church like on earth. You have elders and deacons and pastors up on the on the platform and then the congregation is, is down below all the people together.
2: It seemed to be that format. And so my guide brought me over to
1: our own slab of light. It was like a table, but it's not a table like, like you would think of a table. You could see through it. You could, And there was something on the table. I didn't recognize it. And guess what? It was made of light, just a big glob of light. And I asked my guide, you know, what is that? and my guide said that's food that we have prepared for you and she said i need she I don't, I don't know if it was a she um my 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 guide said i need to instruct you on how to consume this so uh my guide actually demonstrated it to me and said now Go ahead and and you start consuming your food. And it wasn't like you pick it up with your hands and you open your mouth and you chew it and you swallow it. None of that. I mean, it was similar to how we were communicating. It's like the food just entered my body by osmosis or something. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it works, but I could feel the food entering my body. And I am telling you,
2: that food was something like I've never experienced before. Um, It tasted so good. It tastes like nothing on earth. I cannot even begin to hope to explain to you what that tasted like. But not only did it taste good, it felt good. I could feel that food working
1: on me. I felt warm, I felt more love than I felt before in my experience while I was there. And it just filled me with goodness. And again, I'm gonna say it again, there's just not an
2: earthly word for how I can possibly describe to you how I felt and what that tasted like. Now, I've authored 25 books, and I cannot come up with one word that describes my experience I'm just lost. There's not a word, not an earthly word. And my guide said, you are now being healed by this food.
1: And I thought, well, what? You know, why am I being healed? What am I being healed of? There's nothing wrong with me. I have a little bit of high cholesterol and high triglycerides but nothing life-threatening that I know of. And I remember thinking, well, if heaven thinks I need to be healed, then I'm going to accept that because I am an earthling, I am a sinner, and I'm not going to argue with heaven. (laughs) So thank you, heaven, and thank you, God, for healing me from whatever you're healing me of. So I totally accepted that. And I tell you what, it, it tasted so good, it felt so good, I asked my guide, I actually asked her, I said, may I have more? And I was granted permission, and I consumed more of that food. And I never forget it, and I've never been able to reproduce it, of course and I never will until I get back to heaven. But what an amazing,
2: amazing experience. And then I always get emotional when I tell this part, you'll just have to wade through it. But the most amazing thing happened. The most amazing thing. I told you there was a a row of beings that looked like a a front row or a head table or something. Well, there was one being in the middle of that who all of a sudden rose up. And it's not like
1: he pushed back his chair and and stood up. He just went, rose right up. And that being
2: started singing. What a voice. The clarity, the volume. It was an absolute perfect voice, the vibrato. Um,
1: And the volume was so intense.
2: I could feel the sound waves from his voice Passing through my body. And I hate to get away from heaven, but I think I will.
1: I used to go to Cocoa Beach and watch rockets go up. And I used to love to get real close so I could feel the vibration of that rocket passing through my body. And That is as close of a way that I can describe it. The the volume coming from that individual was just shattering. And he was the earthly equivalent of a bare tone. This time I could tell gender, that was a male voice. And he sang words that I didn't understand. And then all of a sudden, at one point, it seemed to be a chorus that was coming up because he kind of paused and got into a different chorus mode. And all of a sudden, I could understand the words that he was singing. And the words were, I gave my all for you. And wow, what does that mean? Is he talking about Jesus who gave his all for us, me, everybody? Uh, I did not get the impression that he was talking about himself, Um, but that was my impression. I can't prove anything there. And so then he would cycle back from, I gave my all for you into another verse with words that I couldn't understand. And then he cycled back into the English words, I gave my all for you. He did that twice, I think.
2: And then, (laughs) if, if this one being wasn't enough, I discovered
1: who all of these people out in front of the head table were. They're a
2: choir, a choir. (laughs) And they all rose up. And they all started singing with this baritone. In harmony, all of their voices were powerful and perfect and holy. Talking love, projecting love.
1: Projecting praise to God, I mean, it was
2: everything that is good. And the volume was intense. The volume was shredding. The volume was... I don't have any other words right now, but all of heaven, all of the universe, I mean, everywhere had to be hearing this choir. It was just incredible. And in listening to this choir, I recognized something that to me is very, very important. The musical scale, octave to octave in heaven, is longer than the earthly scale, octave to octave on the earth.
1: I don't have perfect pitch. I don't know how much longer. I don't know how many additional notes there are. And if I did have perfect pitch, I may not be able to recognize the notes anyway because they're heavenly notes. But my whole point of telling you that is that by having a longer scale, you have more opportunities for harmonies. And the harmonies in heaven from that choir was absolutely mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, I'd never heard anything like that. I'd sung in choir since I was a little bitty kid, all the way up through adulthood, never heard anything
2: like that, never will again on this earth. I think about it every day. And even the choir
1: cycled through and sang those English words, I gave my all for you. So it wasn't just the bare tone up
2: front. It was the entire choir. And, And then just like they rose, just like they started, they
1: finished the song and they all lowered themselves
2: back to their normal level. And After that, I I remember talking to and communicating
1: with some of the beings on the head table. To To me, there didn't appear to be anything else going on. And so we were talking about something. I don't know what we were talking about. And I don't know if I forgot what we were talking about. But. It seems to me that at the time, I'm not sure, but I think at the time, I didn't even understand what we were talking about because I think it was such a high level that I either couldn't comprehend it or um, didn't understand it. I I sort of felt like I was just a bobblehead, nodding my head, yes, uh uh-huh, yes, sir, yes, sir. But I didn't know why. And so um, I remember feeling love when I was talking to the beings on this end of the head table. And I remember feeling totally 100% accepted.
2: And uh, I felt confident. totally accepted and
1: being loved for having been there. And then some words came out of my mouth that were not my own. And my words carried across the whole area as if everybody knew that I was there and maybe they were even performing for me. I don't know. But I
2: said these words. Thank you. But I have to go now. And
1: I didn't want to say those words. I, I didn't premeditate that I had to leave. I was not looking at a watch. I was not running out of time. I didn't say those words.
2: But those words were projected from me. And I could start to feel myself being pulled from God's presence. It was a horrible feeling, horrible feeling. I didn't want to go. Are you kidding me? I was in heaven. Um, That was a terrible feeling. and the next few seconds i'm going to tell you about but
1: i can't tell it in real time it it may take me minutes to tell you what happened to me in the next few seconds so i'm going to start the few seconds now and i'll tell you when i get where i'm going (laughs) when the when the seconds stop so all right, I'm starting the five seconds or whatever it is now. So I, I felt myself leaving heaven,
2: and I was traveling inside this tube of light. I could tell that it was a white, shiny, huge, long,
1: tube of light. And I was traveling very, very fast through it. I mean, I was moving. And I then began to decelerate. And as I decelerated, I realized, well, wait a minute, I'm not in a solid tube of light. What seems like a solid tube of light is made up of little bitty dots of light. And I'm traveling so fast through them, they're all streaming around me. And it's looking to me like it's a solid inside lining of light, but it's not. Little bitty dots. So what are those dots? I can only assume that they're suns and I'm traveling through space so fast that these sun lights are streaming together. So I'm still decelerating, decelerating, decelerating,
2: but I'm still moving fast. And so I, I, I start coming into, our solar system
1: and ahead of me, I can see earth. I recognized it. Oh, there's our earth and I'm approaching it very fast. And then there's North America, there's there's my state, there's my city, my roof of my house. And I went through my roof And I remember hovering at ceiling height for just a fraction of a second. And I was looking down onto my bed and I was viewing my body in my bed, covers over me, everything. And I was seemingly asleep. And so here I am at ceiling height. I go down and... I remerge with my body. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the end of the five seconds or so. So all of that happened just very, very quickly. But I remember all of that just like it was in real time that I told you about it. So
2: I'll never forget that. So here I am back in my bed now, and I'm awake, and I am extremely, extremely cold. My joints are cold. My joints are so cold,
1: they are frozen. I cannot move them. No way can I get out of bed. And I had no
2: choice but to just lie there in hopes that I would eventually warm up.
1: So I was shivering. I was so, so cold and so stiff at first I couldn't shiver, but then I started to shiver and still couldn't move. No way could I get out of bed. I wanted so badly to be able to walk to my bathroom and fill a tub of hot water and just submerge
2: myself in it. But I couldn't physically do it. And I laid there a long time. And
1: finally, I warmed up just a little bit where I could barely move my knees and my hips to be able to creak them a little bit, to be able to get on my feet. But I was very wobbly, very unstable and had to hold on to furniture and my bed and everything to walk. And I had the most weird sensation on the front of my body. My chest and my anterior thighs were were tingling like uh, electricity, like um. um You know, everybody's been to a planetarium where you have this ball and you put your hands on it and your hair stands up. Well, you can feel that uh, conduction in your hands, but that's what my body felt like, my whole body. And it didn't really hurt, it was just annoying. And so here I am working my way to my bathroom and somehow I managed to draw a tub of hot water and I submerged my body in it. And man, it felt so good. I was still cold, still shivering. I remember my teeth chattering and still having trouble moving my joints. And the water got cold really fast. And so I drained it and ran another tub of hot water, laid there as long as I could, still cold. And I was absolutely on a mission at that point to get to my computer, which was in the next room in my home office and have the opportunity to sit there at my keyboard and take notes of what just happened to me. You know, at that point, I thought, wow, what a wild dream. And and I wanted to be able to document it so I won't forget it because I usually forget my dreams. And I didn't know at that point that it wasn't a dream and that I would never forget it. But still, I needed to get to my
2: computer. <clears throat> so, I pulled myself out of the tub. It actually hurt. And
1: put on a jogging suit, I remember, and put on my robe, grabbed a blanket out of the linen closet, wrapped the blanket around me, and made my way to my computer in the next room. But I was still so cold, I could barely key on my keyboard because I was shaking.
2: And, but I managed somehow to get it done. Um, voice recognition back then was not very efficient. And so I, I sat there and I wrote down everything. And
1: I remember looking around the room as I was writing, as I was thinking and processing this experience to get it down in my computer. And I remember thinking, what a horrible, horrible place this is. And I'm a decent housekeeper. I mean, I keep things clean. On an earthly level, it was okay. But uh, compared to heaven, It was black and dark and sinful and just absolutely horrible. And I missed heaven so much already. I I just wanted to go back to heaven. I mean, I was absolutely driven. And I cannot underemphasize that word driven. I was highly, highly motivated to get back to heaven. And I had no idea how I was going to do it, and you know, God, why'd you send me back to earth i was I was up there, I was in your presence. I liked it. I didn't want to leave. Why am I back on the earth? What happened? You know did I say something? um Did I have bad breath? I don't know and bring me back. I want to go back to heaven.
2: And so I got my notes down and being driven to get back to God as much as I could, where I was on the earth,
1: I knew how to do that because I knew the highest point in the area. And I was absolutely driven to go to that highest point. Now, I live in Tennessee. And the highest point of Tennessee is about 6,693 feet. I understand that 6,693 feet is nothing compared to wherever heaven is. But I wanted to get there because it was the best I could do with what I had at the time, at the moment. So I did something really stupid. It was still dark. I was crying. I was angry. I was angry at God. God, why did you do this to me? What do you want from me? You know, and I got in my car. And I knew where to go to get to the highest point in the area because I go there frequently anyway. I went there to tithe my time many times. <clears throat> Fortunately, there was not much traffic at whatever time of the morning it was. I don't even know. But I finally arrived at that high point And I prayed to God. I pleaded with God, you know bring me back i don't want to be here
2: this is horrible and if you want me here what do you want me to do are you giving
1: me a mission i mean if you're going to send me back why didn't you give me a mission while i was up there on the in in heaven and i felt lost i felt i felt uh betrayed, sort of. And so I was up there for the rest of the night. And I've been up there before to watch a
2: sunrise. And the sunrises there are just beautiful. But not today. Not today. What is ordinarily a fabulous,
1: fabulous sunrise with a long horizon
2: was not today. It was ugly, it was dark, it was sinful. So I couldn't work. How can you work and concentrate
1: after something like this? I couldn't work for days, maybe a week. Finally, I realized nothing's gonna happen. I'm back on the earth, no message from God, I'm praying, I'm listening, nothing. So I try to go back to my routine. I have clients I have to make happy. I started working and time went by and I went to see a friend of mine. My friend owns a a high-end Native American art gallery. And I walked in her front door and I asked her, I said, what is that music playing? That music is beautiful. And it was ethnic flute and guitar. And, well, she said that uh, was brought in by a Native American. He's the flute player. And he left a stack of CDs and asked me to sell them. And she said, he just left. I'm surprised you didn't see him going out when you were coming in. I said, let me see that CD. And guess what? The title of the CD was, I Gave My All For You. And the song that was being played was the title song. I was listening to a song called, I Gave My All For You. And imagine how that might have made me feel. I mean, finally, a clue, (laughs) you know? So um, I went to, uh, I'm not going to get this right. I went to AMI. I I went to all the record companies that have lists of titles of songs. I can't remember it right now. But I studied those. And there was no song registered as a title, I Gave My All For You. There was one called, I Gave My All To You, but that's much different. Mm -hmm. And so there was no song registered under that title. So I asked for the CD. I bought the CD. I took it with me. And I tried to find this Native American. He lived in Nashville. Uh, I couldn't find him and never did find him. So I thought, oh my goodness, a dead end road. And so I was asking God, why the Native American thing? Am am I supposed to be led now toward Native American culture? Uh, What's up with this, God? And I I was still seeking an answer, a mission.
2: And so at one point, I was still driven to get to high
1: elevation, to get to as close to God as I could.
2: And I geared up my pickup truck and I started traveling. And I literally went all over the country. And I was looking
1: for, I don't know, a piece of property on top of a mountain, a high elevation point. It doesn't make any sense to me because that little bit of elevation makes such a a tiny, tiny smidgen of a difference. But nevertheless, I was driven. It's something I had to do. And I literally traveled all over the country. And while I was traveling, I went to correspondence school. And I qualified myself to apply as a US ranger, park
2: ranger. And um, so I applied
1: all over the country and it declined every offer because it wasn't right. But then one day, I got a job offer from Yosemite National Park and I was asked to work at Glacier Point, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I would be living in my own little cabin in the wilderness a two hour drive from anywhere, I'd be living at 7,500 feet. How many people live at 7,500 feet? Very, very few. And I immediately knew that that was of interest to me. So I told the ranger on the phone, give me five minutes, I'll call you back and give you an answer. So I went online. I looked up Glacier Point, I looked up the elevation of that, and I called him back and said, I accept. So here I am about to go to Yosemite National Park to live at the highest elevation I've ever heard of. A buddy of mine I went to college with is a Sioux shaman. And he lives in Idaho. And he said, David, come by here on your way to Yosemite. And I want you to meet somebody. So I went to see my buddy. And we drove over to Spokane, Washington. And he introduced me to a Sioux medicine man. And the whole time, I'm thinking, God, is this what you want? You connected me somehow with a musician who's a Native American. Now I have an invitation to go see a medicine man. And I'm about to go to live with the Miwok. I mean, God, you you are stringing me together here with similarities. And it's all kind of making some sense here at least I'm getting a direction, God. And so I met this medicine man. His name was Yellowhawk. I'm a Vietnam war veteran. He's a Vietnam war veteran. We had a lot in common. And I mean a lot. And he interviewed me for 24 hours straight, no breaks, no food. Um, No sleep. And at the end of that 24 hours, he said, David, I think we can help you. And he said, I want you to come back here tomorrow at six o'clock. And I'm going to have lots of Native Americans here. And I'm going to do a sweat lodge for you. And He said, come back rested, be ready. So, we entered the sweat lodge. He sat me right next to him. My buddy, the shaman, was on the other side of Yellowhawk. And we started the sweat. And come to find out, Yellowhawk has a son who is the chief medicine man of the Sioux Nation in Canada. And they were communicating telepathically. And so Yellowhawk was saying, oh no, my son's gonna make me sing. So he started chanting and other warriors in the sweat lodge were chanting right together. It was beautiful. And they had percussion instruments made of turtle shells and uh, plants and gourds and other things. So I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but, um, and then Yellowhawk said, okay, where David, you're being reviewed right now by my son, the chief medicine man and 300 council members in the Sioux Nation are looking at you right now. And he said, I'm going to do a very powerful ceremony. He said, I want you to keep your eyes closed. You cannot watch this. He said, it's very powerful. And I heard the the cadence in the room change. It it became very intense and I could tell that Yellowhawk was moving his arms and chanting and it all changed. It went into a higher pitch, a whole new level of energy. And then suddenly they stopped and um, Yellowhawk started talking to me directly. And he said, David, um, my son and the elders have reviewed your life. He said, you're a great warrior and you're a great person. And the Sioux Nation would like to adopt you as one of their own into the Sioux Nation. And he said, do you accept? And I said, yes, of course I accept, (coughs) excuse me.
2: And so he said, your name will be Wambali Iskma.
1: And in English, that means Eagle's Wing. And he said, if you choose later on to do a vision quest, He said, you can change your name to whatever you want it to be. And then he pulled out a peace pipe. It was very, very old. And it was made of ivory and it was hand carved. And it was probably two and a half, three feet long. And he lit it and he handed it to me and he instructed me to smoke it. And while I was smoking it, he listed individuals who have also smoked that pipe. And I don't remember all of them, but one of them was George Washington. One of them was the Queen of England. Some other names that we all know recently who are still alive. But very important people in the world. Names that anybody would recognize. And so at that point, the sweat was over. And he said that they healed me of my PTSD from the war. And I actually could feel a warmth. And my back kind of stood up straight during the ceremony. And actually, for months after, I did feel better in that regard with my post-war PTSD. But it didn't really last all that long. So now I leave that place with this experience, another Native American experience in my pocket. And I head on to Yosemite where I was to start my work as a U.S. park ranger at Glacier Point. Well, I had been there sometime that year. And I was on the sidewalk right out at the point talking to about 100 people. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye a light. And I looked over there and there was a woman there. I didn't know her, but she had an aura that was so bright it went all the way up through the sky and just disappeared through the sky. I mean it was incredible
2: and her aura was white and gold and maroon and purple.
1: Sound familiar? Yep. <laughs> Just like the colors in heaven. And I recognized it. And whoa, whoa, what is this? So I, I talked to the hundred people in front of me, and I said, please excuse me. I said, I've never done this before, but I have to leave you and go talk to that woman. So I said, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. So I went over there. I spoke first. And I said, ma'am, who are you and why are you here?
2: And she said, I am here to tell you that that great being
1: that you saw in heaven was your guardian angel. He has been protecting you all your life from everything. He kept you alive during the war. He kept you alive in other situations in your life. I said, I know it. You don't have to tell me. (laughs) and she said he wants you to know that the glacier point is one of the places that he lives and visits when he visits the earth and she pointed to a certain area of glacier point she said He hangs out right over there. She didn't use the word hangs out, but he he lives right over there. And she described it. And I said, I know that place. That's where I go when I want to be quiet and study and commune with God. And I feel it. I feel that. And um, so it was wonderful to get that information. And She actually handed me a pamphlet, a piece of paper. And she said, this is our church. And the church was called I Am. And she said, we want you there. Please come to our church. And at that point, I looked back at my congregation, my visitors, my hundred people. They were still there. And then I looked back at her and she was gone. And the distance from where we were standing to the end of the sidewalk was too far for her to make that distance in the time that I looked away. So I don't know what happened to her, but she was no longer in front of me. So I went back over to my people and I said, apologize, you know, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm I'm back now, you know, let's let's keep talking. And I, I asked them, I said, Did you see that lady over there I was talking to? And one of them said, No. In fact, we were wondering who you were talking to. And I said, I don't even know. And so I must've looked like a fool, but um, I never went to that church. Um, I'm a little bit afraid of churches. I'm a little bit afraid of organized religion. I'm a little bit afraid Well, I did some research on that church and they actually didn't even have a church. And I was real unclear on that message that I received from that woman, but I never went. And a lot of people say, David, you had to go. You should have gone. That was your message. But I have to say that I felt very uncomfortable with that. And I don't know why, maybe it was a mistake, maybe so, I don't know. But anyway, I did not go. And I retired early from my work as a ranger after five years. Because my PTSD was escalating. And I just went home. At the end of the last season, and I've been on a message or uh, a mission of healing ever since I went home, and I've started doing a lot—and I mean a lot—of veteran work, uh, helping veterans with whatever their problems are. And I won't go into all that I do, but my veteran work has become my mission, and veterans who know me and know about my heavenly experience and know about my war experience and and everything, they all say the same thing. David, the reason that you were kept alive is because of the work that you're doing today and the veteran work. And I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. But I'm going to continue to do my veteran work as long as I physically and mentally can. And uh, I'm 73 years old now. And I can feel it. I'm aging fast. But I wanted to get my heavenly experience out there with you and with your program and, and other people, so that my experience will not be lost. And I don't want it to go with me. I want, it, I want my experience and my story to last well beyond me. So um, if, if any of you have any questions, or Peggy, if you have questions, I'd be happy to field some questions.
0: Switches here. Wow. (laughs) Why do you think this happened?
2: I wish
1: I knew. Uh, Like I said, through my whole talk, I was searching for a mission, for a purpose. Of God taking me to heaven and sending me back. Uh, In my opinion, it would have been very simple for my guide to tell me what was expected of me and why I was being returned to earth. If God didn't want to speak to me directly, talk through the guide. You know, something could have been worked out and he could have said anything I mean, God could have said, go back and help your brothers and sisters, the veterans. Bam, that would have been all it would have taken. I would have known. But I didn't even get that.
0: Somebody said in their near-death experience, they were told that if they were told what their mission was, they would lose their free will. And they didn't want to lose their free will.
1: I did not hear anything like that. Um, the only thing that I was told not in heaven, but after, and it was an earthly voice, but a very holy Christ oriented person. Someone told me that if I accepted my ex-wife back into my home, that her presence would disconnect all of this, and so she was about to die. She was uh, she was really sick, and I tried to find nursing homes. I couldn't. I had no choice but to bring her back in my home. And that person was right. You know, a lot of this stopped uh, when I brought my ex-wife back into my home. But I couldn't, I couldn't leave her on the street.
0: Well, it sounded like it was a sacrifice because you knew what you were, you would give up, and and what was that saying you were told? To give my life for you, or was it?
2: I gave my all for you.
0: So maybe. You know, you gave it all for her because, you know, they say love isn't love unless you give it away.
1: You know what, Peggy? I, I never looked at it that way.
2: Um, I'll have to think about that and process
1: that, that, that is an interesting approach to this. Um, you know, other people who have made comments really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, I'm a medically trained person. And it didn't dawn on me for 10 years that when I reemerged with my body, my body might have been dead for the time that I was away. And that's why my body was cold and that's why my joints hurt and why I couldn't move my joints because rick mortis might be setting in. I didn't even think of that. Now, how can I miss something like that? That's crazy.
0: At 25, when I come back from heaven in the wheelchair and they took me immediately to a room and put me in this high bed and this big light hanging off the ceiling, you know, I can see him light. And I was so freezing. I mean, I know those rooms are always cold, but I shook and just like my teeth rattled. And my husband kept telling them, get more blankets, get more blankets. And, I, and no matter how many blankets they got, I was frozen. Right. And Bland years dance. later, I thought, was that like the death process? You know, you get, go cold. Yeah. Was my body not able to warm up fast enough to, you know, the normal body heat? You know, was I actually, you know, that dead, I don't know how, I don't know anything medically. I don't know how fast your body temperature drops, but I, I wondered later, I thought, or was it shock? Yeah, at the time I thought, am I going to shock or something? Because I just was shaking so much. And months later, the first time I told the story, when it come to me and I remembered it, it was like, oh my God, that was real. And I told my husband that night when I told him and I was reliving it, I shook all over again, remembering how cold I was. I was actually I, physically cold again, so I don't know. But yeah, I thought I of can, that. I thought of that as you were talking about being so cold when you come back.
1: Right. I I get that.
0: Uh,
1: may I share something, Peggy? Of course. I have a a little book, and I'm not here to sell my book. You know how much I make when I sell one of these—a penny—and <laughs> it's only because Amazon requires that you make something. So I set the price at a penny. But uh, this is a written account of what you just heard of my experience. And somebody may be interested in this in giving it to a friend as a gift or uh, someone who's in need of hearing this story, no matter for what reason. But you can find this on Amazon. It's titled, I gave my all for you. And if you go to myheavenlyexperience.com, you will end up on the page where you can purchase this. And I have prayed over this book. I have prayed that people who find it, read it, uh, will be blessed. And so I hope that whoever finds this book and reads it will find a way of it improving their life.
0: Um, you being military, have you heard of Dr. Alan Botkin? No, um, af, induced after death communication, so it's induced after death. I A D C, he's uh, he's retired now, but uh, psychiatrist with the veterans who stumbled on a cure for PTSD, and it's using, um, you know, the uh. Um, r- shoot um, i want to say REM right? these are the REM sleep and they use something like move your eyes back and forth the rapid eye movement and he just had realized um, he'd done this for years and then the rapid eye movement and you know they don't have much results you know for PTSD and veterans but he started noticing that his um, patients were r- veterans were starting to have like near death experiences like after death communication they were suddenly seeing someone in heaven and communicating with him and they were cured in one session and like he gave an example of this one guy he was in the war and there was this little girl he wanted to adopt he talked to his wife about it and um of course being another country and being in the military he wouldn't been able to but he thought it could and so, but he's really close this little girl and then they got like ambushed. And the little girl was killed right in front of him. And so when he came home from the war, he couldn't bond with his wife, with his children. He stayed in the basement. He just could not function and no therapy was ever helping him. And he had changed that um, rhythm with the eye movement. Um, And he had been doing, um, you know, start out by mistake and that guy suddenly saw that little girl in heaven as a woman, and she, he saw how beautiful and healthy and wonderful she is, and she thanked him. And they had a little communication. And he went home, and he was bonding with his family, and he had no more trouble with PTSD. And so he kept continuing to do that. And then he went into an office with a colleague, and he shut the door. He says, "You're gonna think I'm crazy, but." And he said what was happening. She says, "Oh no, I believe you because a, a experience she had as a teenager with her sister at fast." And so, long story short a lot of therapists was getting trained to do this. And he has a book, it's called um, Induced After Death Communication, it's a little book. And I got it, and then I read it, and in the back of it, it tells exactly how to do it. Of course, you're not allowed to do it unless you're a master's um, level therapist, and you go to his weekend training, but it said right there how to do it. And I thought, what's a master's degree anyway, you know? I was already a counselor. And so I went through the steps, I tried with my husband, and my husband is not into any of this stuff whatsoever, and all of a sudden, um, as he's, I see his face change, like he's about ready to cry, but something got the corner of my eye, and I look, and I seen his brother, my husband's brother died at five years old, I seen him as a young man, like maybe 17, 19, and he was running, like across my wall, like he was in heaven, this beautiful sky behind him, and this wheat field and he turned and smiled at me and just kept on going and i looked back over at my husband like what you know was that and I looked back at my husband and my husband's crying he said for the first time he says i saw my brother but he saw him as a child was he remembered as a child he said i have a picture what my brother looked like and so i went back to uh, his mother and i said i have a question i said was jeffrey the brother that died of five leukemia i said was he more dark complected and brown eyes look more Indian, and she said, "I thought she's going to say you're crazy because they're all really white, complexed, crystal blue eyes." And in fact, his family—not my husband, but his parents—are prejudiced against darker-skinned people. So I thought she's going to like, you know, say you're nuts. And um and she said, "Yeah, he was." She says he yeah, had brown eyes, darker complexion, didn't look like the rest of them. I'm like, "How would I know this?" And I'm like, "This, there's something to this." I mean, I was like, I, hook, line, and sinker. I'm like. This is a real thing. And I don't know why it's not out there more because anybody can do it. It's a very simple little technique and bam, you connect to the other side. Whoever you need to see, whoever you need to be healed.
1: Oh, that's interesting. I've not studied any of this. Um, So I'm just out there on my own and just recently started telling my story like I have here today,
2: so.
0: Have you been able to like stand up in front of a group of veterans and share, or is that something you would like to do? Or I'm just curious.
1: I've never been asked to. Um, I don't know, if I did, it would need to be, you know, a quiet place and I'd, I'd really prefer to not be interrupted when I do this mm-hmm. because I kind of go into a zone when I start telling of my experience and interruptions just kind of yeah. lose me.
0: Yeah. I usually ask my guests now before we start, do you want like a one-on-one like this? Me stay on, <clears throat> you know, side by side with you and have a conversation or do you want to just take the floor with questions or take the floor and uninterrupted? And so they tell me what they want. And so that's what I do.
2: Well,
1: that's good because I appreciate you letting me do a monologue in this format. It's, that's the only way I would do it, I guess.
0: Is there, I'll send you this video later tonight It'll be finished. Is there any way that you could get it to where veterans can see it? Um, Do you have like a website to access them or anything?
1: Well, sure. I'm a webmaster for many veteran organizations, um, but this subject matter is not appropriate for any of them. Um, So I would probably not put them on the organizations that I work with.
0: I had some veterans contact me a few months ago and I was making videos for them and putting them on another channel, but I ended up pulling out of it. It was just, um, it was like in legal matters, stuff that is going wrong with the veterans and, and it's just not a direction I wanted to go.
1: Well, yeah. Veterans have enough on them right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were bringing it to me and I'm like, I'm not news media. You know, I'm not going to get you. I'm just near death experience. I'm not going to get you attention where you want it. And I mean, it was any stuff that's in legal cases. And um, so, I mean, I mean, I feel for them and I, and I was trying to help them, but it was just, you know, affecting me. Like, I, I don't want to get back in that stress where I used to do cases and stuff like the legal side. Right. I just can't do it. I can't
1: take stuff like that on anymore. Well, it's hard for me even to do something like this. It's stressful. You know, I, I had trouble sleeping and, you know, you know, leading up to this, it's just doing this is a big event for me in my life.
2: <clears throat> How do you yeah. feel
0: when you tell it?
2: Um
1: You know what, when I tell it like you just heard, I'm totally compartmentalized from the rest of my life. Um, I can't really explain it, but I just seem to like drop into a, a capsule of protection of uh, in a zone.
2: Yeah.
1: And people who I've told this experience to one-on-one and one-on-six and so forth have said that my skin color changes, you know, I turn a reddish color and I glow and uh, nobody's ever said that on camera, only live, but I can't explain it, I just, I somehow change when I tell this story for an hour. I just, it's a holy special time for me. It's yeah. all I can say. I guess. I, know. I, don't, I don't have the words. Yeah. That's what I say too, it's
0: almost like tunnel vision, like the whole world vision walked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I never thought of that, but it is sort of like that. I'm I'm encapsulated. I'm protected. I'm um I'm communing with jo- with God. And I'm, I'm praying the whole time, even though I'm talking to you or, or a group of people. Sure, I'm communicating, but I still try to have that connection directly to God when I'm telling this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because yeah. that's, that's what, what I am. want to portray is, is God.
0: That's what I am, too, when I tell mine, I just let everything go out. And I just stay within the, my memory and I just stay right there with it. And that's the only thing that gets me through the town. Cause like, it was, if I had to stand up on a stage in front of people, you know, or even a group and talk I won't, anything, I wouldn't be able to do it. But with no. this, it's just like, it takes over and you know, like, I step back and yes. it, it goes and I don't have to worry about it because everything I, comes out of my mouth is perfect. I don't have to question it. I don't have to look at how they look at me. What do they think, you know, anything, because it's, it's in that space of this all knowing and it's perfection. And I just like step into it and then step out. It's, 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 it's that just that way.
1: You express that very well. And I, I may borrow some of, your uh, explanation that you just expressed, because that's perfect. That's exactly what I do. I just didn't know how to express it as well as you did. And so that's really good. I appreciate that insight.
0: I say before, you know, the first time I told my um, story was at ION's meeting in Columbus and um, I'd only been to one other meeting. She's come to the first one for practice, watched another speaker, and then they had the meetings every other month. And she'd come back and tell yours. Not. I was so scared. I'm like, I can't get in front of people and talk. I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, I'm not going to have notes or anything. It's all by memory. So I didn't know what to expect. But when I started, because I had two Indies, first, you know, drying at five and then 25 year old topic. But when I started with a pond, I mean, I was literally hovering over that pond again at five years old. I was literally seeing everything again in real time. And it was just like, I know the room and the people were there, but I just like, I was levitating. And then I got, then I went on into the second NDE where I went through the tunnel and the bright white light and the tunnel was something you were saying, reminded me of uh, the tunnel. Um, And you said you felt like stars. I didn't think that, but there was something in the walls, in the tunnel that I could see through. And it felt like I was going through galaxy and galaxy and galaxy. That's like in this tunnel, it was like, dim, but it was say, if you had a, a, say it's going through a straw and the straw is kind of invisible, but yet it's there. And you could see everything going on, you know, like I was shot like a rocket, Oh, I know what you said. It was like when um, you used to watch rockets and that vibration and that noise and everything. The speed of a rocket. That's exactly what I thought when I was going through the tunnel. Is I only think I picture or compare it to as it's going through it as when I seen on TV the tunnels taking off and that vibration and noise. It was like shh, like that and I'm like shut like real fast and. So, yeah, I mean, I just was I just feel every bit of it when I start remembering and and it's like, I don't know what other people are doing around me because I'm just I'm back there.
1: Yeah, you're focused. You're in a zone. Uh, I don't know.
0: And I think that, you know, you know, you know, I don't understand yours. I'm sure you don't either because you weren't near death. You had this experience. Um, and it wasn't like a time of stress. Like at, 15, at 16, I was kidnapped, and raped, and I had an experience. I was praying to God that deep prayer. I was wishing I wouldn't be on this earth. And then suddenly, I was in space, and I was looking down at Earth, and I was in the night sky, and it was blowing my hair. I had my body and my jeans, and um, and so I know these things can happen when you're not even near death. But you know, this was a trauma, so it's like poof, I'm out of here. But with you, it's like you were praying. And seeking something, and, and you, like, were, your prayer was answered. You were given what you were asking for, just like I was. I was asking I wasn't even on this earth, and I wasn't.
1: Well, it's all very complicated, isn't it?
0: Oh, I know what I was going to say. It's like, um, and these memories that are so crisp, no matter how we get, and in fact, it seems like it gets closer to me as I get older, not that the memory is more vivid, but more accepting of it. Um, I'm more sure of myself and, and knowing what's true. But it seems to me like, you know, these aren't in our brain, like, you know, a person that's dead or even like with my experience of yours, and you just left. And to me, you're in that land of all knowing. You're in that heavenly realm and you're not using your meat brain to retrieve these memories and store them, You're, it's in your soul, and I think that's why they never fade, and that's why they're so profound to us when we repeat them. Because this is, we're going to our soul memory, and not a brain memory like trying to remember first time I rode my bike. You know, I'm not going to remember that hardly right. at all. But and you know, Miss, I think it's a soul memory because you know, say you know someone that's dead and they're left their body say they're you know flatline, um that brain's not working what's working is their soul and so all those memories everything we experience in that soul is is going to be perfect because that realm is perfect and so these these um that's why i think they're capsulated they're in this capsule like it's golden egg and they're they're protected and and but yeah, you know, you, I can't imagine, you know, because you weren't dead, you were praying. And, um, I was praying really hard a couple times, um, one time and something happened is, uh, when I was 17, I was kind of like you, I was looking for a higher elevation. And actually I wrote a pro- poem in the back of my book about it called my hill. And I was wandering around the woods and I was praying to God and I says something like, you know, um, I went up top of a hill and we're still too far away. You know, I'm talking to God. And I got to this one hill, like I could see way out and I'm still praying. And all of a sudden, the feeling I had when um, I'd left my body and was in up in the stars, looking down to earth, and the wet, warm wind was blowing my hair, it was that same feeling of God's presence was right there, like this hug, like it's all around me. And I got that feeling at 17. And I went within that, um, what I was praying about is, God, I don't know what to do because I was not going to have any family support when I turned 18. I was going to be kicked out. I had nothing. What was I going to do? And and so I was given the steps. You need to get your driver's license. You need to get a job. You need to save money for a car. And you need to get over this ex-boyfriend I had been like suicidal over that I was engaged to. And my parents broke us up and I did all those things. And I got my life in order within a few months. And there's just something in that realm that you can trust and you can bank on um, when you get told. Uh, Now, you you know, I was given steps like you were like, come back and like, what am I supposed to do? Like nobody told me. But then that was just for my immediate future, though. But then going through a divorce after 16 years of marriage, I was in the bathroom and I was praying, I was sobbing, and you God and your family didn't love me. Now I find out my husband 16 years never loved me and blah blah. blah. And all of a sudden I heard my child audibly outside me audibly. And that was enough right there to hear that my child was like, you're right, you're the only family I need. And those experiences have lasting long-term effects on us if we don't discard them and say, I'm crazy, that couldn't be possible because I've done that a lot too. So it's really interesting that you really took that to heart and started searching.
1: Yeah, I sure did. Uh, Traveled all over the country trying to find the right spot at a high elevation. But I found it
0: yeah and you know and for that you know woman to appear and and you know say that and and it's like a confirmation for you to say those same words that you were told in heaven i mean i say heaven i mean that's where you were is that where you think you were
1: in heaven oh yeah
0: yeah i assume so so okay
1: yeah i don't have any doubt okay I, i can't prove it but I can only assume that that massive source of light and energy that was behind me that I was walking away from, I can only assume that that was God or Jesus or, you know, somebody high ranking in heaven.
0: And, you know, anybody says it's a dream. Well, why is it just like a near-death experience? You know, you don't have a dream that is identical to a proven studied phenomenon, like a, your death experience, I don't know the right words, phenomenon, but.
1: Well, people tell me that what I experienced was a dream. And the first thing I tell them was, well, you haven't either listened to my whole experience on video, or you've not read my book. Because if you had read it, you would recall that I was freezing cold. I appeared to have rigor mortis, and my body was charged with electricity. And oh, by the way, something I didn't mention was I already had an appointment set up with the Veterans Administration for a routine checkup and they drew my blood and all of my blood work a week after my experience was normal. And I went to see my doctor and she said, David, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. She said, you are completely normal this time.
0: What was wrong with it before?
1: Just high blood pressure, high triglycerides, high high cholesterol. And <clears throat> I actually have the paperwork from that doctor's appointment to show it. And so I have a chart in my medical record that You know, shows where it was before and then on the date of my experience, it's normal. And, you know, I can lay it all out. So,
0: And that's typical with near-death experiences is, you know, people are given maybe 3% chance survival, 1% or whatever, and then they come back from a near-death experience like you might as well throw those odds out because it just seems like the light must that we were in must come back and and heal our bodies because everybody recovers. Well, exactly.
1: Yes. <clears throat> so anyway, it, it's all interesting. And I think about it every day. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I have not yet reached the finale. I think there's still more. And with all the veteran work I do, that's not the end. There's something else. that I'm just waiting for. And I have no idea what it's going to be. But...
0: Now, you say you don't share this with veterans because it's not... I forget what you said. Um,
1: Well, it's not related to the subject matter of the veterans that I work with. Like... Right. I I work with the Florida Veterans Hall of Fame. And I don't think it would be appropriate to put near-death experience information on their website. Uh, Another one is a veterans museum, and I'm on the board, and I'm the the webmaster for that museum. Near-death experience would not be an appropriate subject to put on that website.
0: Why is that? Why isn't it appropriate? I mean, I kind of know, but then I kind of question it.
1: Well, because the the subject of the the website and the organization is about veterans affairs and war. And uh, in terms of the Hall of Fame, it's about what great veterans did in their lifetime to support their community. It's not about what they did during the war. It's about themselves being given back to their community
0: I wonder if there can be another website for things like this because I'm sure they've all had near-death experiences
1: well no not all of them I don't think but actually I'm in communication with someone else who knows more about veteran NDEs than I do
0: yeah I, um, yeah, I don't. I didn't mean to say that they've all had near-death experiences, but I'm sure there's a lot that um, could be shared. Like even, you know, just one little story real quick is when my son, Matthew, uh, my oldest son, was in Afghanistan. And every time this song, Simple Man, come on the radio here at home, I would say a prayer to, to God to just you know, let him live long enough to come home and have children and be married and, and know that kind of love. To, you know, that we have a child, he hadn't experienced marriage or children yet. And I just want him to experience that. I don't want him to die over there and never experience life. And what I feel is the best part of life. And, um, he was injured and I think it was going to amputate his leg. And I was like, no way it happened. And so he didn't, but he, he's okay now, and he, you know, he's doing well. But um, a couple years after he was home, because he didn't talk about stuff over there very much, he said was in his kitchen. His mom want to taste something, and he said uh, one day we was all riding the back of the truck, and was all talking, and Sim- the song Simple Man come on the radio, and so everybody got quiet to hear that song, and they got ambushed. He said, every other ambush, just like this, he says, it was not good for our side. But because that song came on, we all had a chance to be quiet for a moment. And so we were, we heard a noise and we were prepared and it was good for their side. None of them got hurt. And I just immediately thought of all the times I prayed when I heard that song, that my son wouldn't die. And if that song hadn't come on, he probably would have and just things like that, you know, a mother's prayer, you know, we just never know how our prayers have gotten answered, and, you know, just like your story, even though it's not a near-death experience, a lot of us all have something that might, we might even, you know, forgot about, or, and I think, I have PTSD from my childhood, and I think being a, remembering these spiritual experiences bring them to the forefront of our mind bring a lot of healing as you know um spiritually physically and if 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 the guys aren't ever able to tap into that you know i don't know but it's just my thoughts
1: well they're they're good thoughts and i appreciate your stories and i appreciate your time and thank you again for thank you selecting me and inviting me to tell my story
0: good luck i'll be praying for you that you find what you need to do because you definitely know you need to do something don't you
1: yes ma'am thank you so much
0: thank you okay
1: bye